This is CD number three of the messages titled Faithfulness, presented by Dr. Joseph A. Webb, President of CPR Ministries, Longwood, Florida. For more information on CPR Ministries, please visit our website at www.cprministries.org. Now you've read the scripture and you've prayed. Now when you meditate on it, you're supposed to have two or three or four spiritual stomachs. In your mind, you'll take that verse in, and as you're driving down the, ro- the road, a wrong thought will come to you and say, No, I renounce that in Jesus' name. Lord, you give me something that you want me to think about. And that verse will pop up again, and you'll say, Lord, let me just analyze that verse. What does that verse really mean? And you begin to take that verse word by word as you're driving down the road, or working over your, your ironing board, or working over your sink, or working out in the garden. Begin to think on that verse. What saith the Lord to his servant? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou... Lord, what does that mean? What saith the Lord to his servant? Lord, does that mean that you can speak to me? I'm your servant. Lord, you haven't been speaking to me enough. I I want you to speak to me more often, you know? Just begin to talk that verse out. Meditate on that verse. Get it up and chew the cud, and before long you say, Glory to God, I didn't think about that. I didn't know that was in there. Well, that reminds me of this verse. You know, it's going to be the same thing that happens to me when I start preparing a message. Lord will just implant a thought in my heart as I'm reading the Word and praying, or I'll be out working somewhere, and the Lord will just keep impressing a word on my heart. So I'll go in and I'll read everything I can find on that one word in, my, in the Scriptures. And then I'll let it sit sometimes for weeks. And the Lord will bring that word up to me again. I'll say, well, Lord, what are you trying to tell me about that? And as I'm reading a, a Christian magazine somewhere or reading a newspaper, boom, something will jump out at me on that subject. Okay, I'll write that down. And before long, I see something informing, and I'll be laying in bed some night, and my wife doesn't know what happens, but I'll bounce out of bed, and she'll say, What's the matter, honey? I say, Nothing, just go to sleep. I just got an idea, and I go in the study, and I'll write that, turn on the light, and write that thing down, and I'll go back and go back to bed again. Sometimes that'll go on for months before God will finally just begin to cause that thing to fall together for me. But you see, that's meditating, that's chewing the cud on the Word. And if we'll do that, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on him. That's what the word means. Whose mind, that word is imagination. Whose imagination is... How many of you know that if you aren't careful, your imagination can get into areas where it shouldn't be? That's why it says, I'll keep him in perfect peace. If you'll make that imagination stay on the Lord and on his word, chew that cud. Now that's balanced Christian life. I'm going to quit right now because next Sunday looks like I'm going to finish up this particular message I hope I don't care though really tell you the truth as long as I can feed you I'll keep on feeding you on these subjects but I think that this is vital for us to have a balanced Christian life that's where it's at praise God thou shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy strength and with all thy mind just let me ask you do we do we really if we don't we're not supposed to crawl in a hole and pull it in after us and say this is it this is the end God in his mercy and grace comes to us again and again and again and says, now this is the area. Let me talk to you about that area. Now, if it's a priority in your life, some of you will go home tonight and click on the television set and forget about what was said. If it's a priority in your life, you might say, honey, I'm going to go to the bedroom tonight. I just want to get quiet before the Lord. And you'll take that area that the Lord's been dealing with you about and you'll let him talk to you about it. And then when you get up tomorrow, don't just let it flip off. Write some little note to yourself that tomorrow when you're walking around and doing whatever you're supposed to be doing, that as you pull that note out and you look at it again, say, now, Lord, I want you to continue to talk to me about that. That's an area that I really need for you to to deal in my life. 
And then during the week, begin to search out Scripture verses that will apply to this truth, to this need in your life, whatever it might be, whether it's of your, the heart, the soul, the strength, and the mind, and begin to meditate on those verses. As I got prepared for my own deliverance, I wrote down lots of verses in areas that I knew were giving me difficulty, and I read them over, and then I read them again, and then I went into Nave's Topical Bible and read them all again, and then I got over into, um, can't think of the other book that I've got there that Dad gave to me, the uh, annotated Dake's annotated Bible. I got in there to see what some of the Greek words might have been for. And then I got into some of my commentaries and went through those verses. I wanted to get established with a foundation so when the time came that I knew I was going to get set free from these things, that I would have something to replace it with. And I'll tell you, God says, you draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. You, you hunger and thirst after righteousness and I will fill you. And he'll only fill those who hunger and thirst. He'll only get closer to those that want to get closer to him. He wants to have a love relationship with you, but he won't force himself on you. Have you ever had somebody try to force themselves on you? Try to make you be friendly to them? The Lord says, I won't do that. I love you, but I want you to tell me that you love me enough that you want me to be in control of those areas completely. And if you'll do that, if you'll turn those areas over me, cast all your care on me, you'll know I care for you and I'll take care of those areas in need. Let me ask you, adults, especially young people, because I know, young people, you are in the formative years of your life. Is Jesus Christ Lord of every one of these areas of your life? Now think about it for a minute. Is he absolute master of every area of your life here? Just look at it. If he isn't, talk to him about it now. It's easier to change now than it is later on. Mom and Dad, are there areas here that you young people can look at and say, hey, you're not balanced here. Your life is out of balance here. If it is, ask the Lord to begin to minister to you in that area. And every time I point one at you, remember there's three coming back at me that I have to get balanced in some areas in my life too. This is the way we grow. I just have the, the, the great privilege of being able to learn more as I'm studying to have to teach you than you do by just sitting there and listening. But I found if I use the eye gate and the ear gate, in most cases you get more than when I just preach. And so I put this before you and ask you to make it a matter of prayer. If there's some area in your life where you know that God wants to come in and take control of that area of your life, will you let him do it? No one else can make you do it except yourself. God will not break in on you. He might send in the hornets to make you willing, but he won't make you do it. And I'll tell you something, I would rather be willing to do it than have the Lord have to send in the hornets to make me willing. He won't ever make me do anything, but he will make me willing sooner or later. You know, he put the children of Israel in the desert for 40 years. When he got through with them, they were willing to go into the land. God help us that we don't have to wander in the wilderness for any 40 years. Amen. We've studied concerning faithfulness. I said that God's nature is faithfulness. The nature of Christ was faithful. The nature of the Holy Spirit was faithful. And therefore, because we are children of God, heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, we should have the like nature of God himself, and therefore every believer should be a faithful person, a dependable person, one upon whom you can place complete trust, knowing that if they say it, their word is their bond. Because we have the nature of God in us. I'm so grateful I don't have to get up every morning and wonder whether God was going to keep his promise today. 
wonder whether God was going to be sufficient for the day, wonder whether the Lord could really keep me into eternity or not. I can because he said he would, and he never fails. Let every man be a liar, but let God be true. And consequently, when men and women look at us, the Word of God says that we should be little Christs. They should be able to see the very nature of Christ in us. And so God expects faithfulness in the life of the believer. And last week we read Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 27. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Excuse me. I'm looking at the wrong... I'm in chapter 9. Sorry about that. Chapter 10 is what I want. 10.25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all, and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Last week we brought out the four aspects of thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's talking about the spiritual man with all thy soul. That's the social man with all thy strength. That's the physical man with all thy mind. That's the mental man. And when we are centered in, when Jesus Christ becomes the center or the hub of our life, then he begins, he wants to be in control of every area of our life. And if he is in control, everything will be in balance. The work of the enemy is to bring things out of balance to bring in extremism, to bring in that which is not natural and that which is not normal. And so when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, when they repent of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he comes in and quickens their spirit, and then he desires to move out into every one of these areas of a man's life to be in total control. And that's why Paul the Apostle said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. He's saying Christ is in you. You have been born again of the Spirit of God. You won't get any more of the Holy Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit wants more of you. He wants to be in control of every area of your life, your mind, your soul, your body, and your strength. When a man is controlled by the Spirit of God, he will do things and say things and go places he would not go otherwise because he's no longer self-conscious but Christ-conscious. That's why the enemy again will come in and try in the life of a believer to get him off into some extreme in one area or another in these four areas of a man's life. He will, you see, it's good for a man to keep a good physique, to try to keep his body strong to make it strong, but he'll drive a man off to where he's just consciously aware of how strong his body is and he becomes proud of that strength instead of recognizing that the arm of flesh will fail every time no matter how strong that arm is. And men will begin to depend on the arm of flesh. Others in the area of finances, they'll begin to depend on their finances. Others will depend on their good looks to get them somewhere or their influence socially or politically. And the Word of God says, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And so we must recognize that this house is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and if He's in total control, then whatsoever you and I do will prosper. So God, when He tells us He wants us to be faithful, He's not saying it as a drudgery. He's saying, if you'll do that, you will understand what I meant when I said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So I, I just want you to consider whether you are walking in a balanced Christian walk.
God wants that kind of life for us. Now, if we're operating in this area, we must come back to this area over here spiritually to indicate to you, the faithful person, what will be some of the things that will happen in their lives. You see, your love for God will manifest itself in certain ways. One of the first ways I believe that a love for Christ will manifest itself is in a love for the Word of God. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter, the second, excuse me, 1 Peter, the, the second chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to see something that for years I misread. 1 Peter chapter 2. You may uh, see here that Peter was writing to Christians. In the first chapter, in the second verse, he says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He's talking to those who have been saved, who have been sanctified, who have been justified. And in the second chapter, he begins, he, he tells them one of the things that should take place in their life. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. Now, I want you to notice that it takes the will, the has to act here in verse 1. He's saying that believers, these things ought not to be in our lives. They should be set aside. Now notice the next verse, and notice how it is punctuated. As newborn babes, I always read it, as newborn babes desire the milk of the sincere milk of the word. It says, as newborn babes, comma, to bring out the true meaning, desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, I can't help but think that Peter either became a father and had a young baby around the house, or maybe grandchildren, or he was around where there were babies uh, just recently, and this thought struck him. He's saying, first of all, put away malice and all these other evil speakings. And he said, now, have you ever noticed a little, just newly born baby? You ever watched them? Have you ever held a newly newborn baby? I always have to hand them back to the mama and say, wait a minute, sorry about that, I can't help you, and I have to give it back to the mama. You know what I'm talking about? He's ever seen a new, newborn baby? They're just, they're just, oh, they're so hungry, and they want that, that, that milk so badly. Nothing more beautiful and more precious than to see a baby be able to be breastfed by its mother. There's a love in that and a warmth in that and a comfort in that, but you know something? You don't have to teach them how. But they're just constantly hungry for that milk. And he says, now, just exactly as you see that baby constantly desiring milk, you, as a believer, should develop that same appetite in your own life. See, I used to think that it meant that if you were a Christian, you automatically had that hunger. Listen, the old flesh is still there, and what he's saying, you should put away these things, and as you see a child constantly reaching and seeking out milk, you should be reaching and seeking out the... Now, when it says the sincere milk of the word there, it's talking about the, the undiluted, the, the word without partiality. He's saying that it isn't necessary for you to always get into a critical study, but just get the word into you. When our children were breastfeeding, never once did they stop and say, now, how many vitamins and minerals are in this, Mom? Does it have enough calcium for me? They just said, I want all the milk I can get. And this is what it's actually talking about here. It's saying you as a believer should just see to it that you saturate yourself with the Word. Don't worry about whether you understand it all or not. Saturate yourself with the sincere Word. Get it inside. Once it's inside, it'll begin to bring forth more life. Now, you, you know, so a lot of people say, I just don't have any interest in the Word. I just can't get interested in reading the Word of God. Develop that interest. Discipline yourself to that thing. Here is life. He said that this is life. 
This is truth. Jesus said that this, if, if it's light and it's life and it's truth, if it's in you, it will become light within you. For the word of God is quick and sh- powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll go down into areas of your life that have never been touched before, and it'll begin to work on those areas. If you want to see this take place in your life, you must saturate yourself with the word of God. All right, it, it's absolutely necessi- uh, It's an absolute necessity for us to understand that if we don't get into God's Word, God's Word won't get into us. If God's Word does not get into us, these things will not happen in our lives. These areas will not be balanced. Satan will have areas of darkness that he can operate in and bring us to defeat as Christians. That's why we must, as babies, as newborn babies, desire the sincere milk of the word. It means seek it out. Make ourselves find it. Get after it. It should become second nature to us because we realize it's important. Paul said the same thing in 2 Timothy, the second chapter in the 15th verse. He said, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Now you see, this is different. The one says, just desire the sincere milk of the word. Just saturate yourself with the Word of God. Just get all the Word in you possibly can. Then he says, after you saturate yourself with the Word, Paul says, study to show yourselves approved. You know there's a difference between reading and studying, don't you? I find myself many times reading, and all of a sudden I say, what did I just read? And I'll go back and read it again, and I'll say, come on, mind, get with it. What did I just read? And I'll go back and read it the third time, and I'll say, this is ridiculous. And I get a pencil and paper and start writing down notes. You know, then it begins to click. Now, what did that verse say? Uh, uh, let me read that again. What did that verse say? Oh, okay. And you know, sometimes I have to read it six or eight times before my mind will actually begin to perceive what that verse is saying. Now, that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, workmen that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The time will come as you saturate yourself with the word of God. Now, hear me. The time will come when you're reading one verse and the Spirit of God will say, now that verse connects with this verse. And did you, did you remember this verse over here that you read? And you say, oh, man, I forgot all about that. You know, some of the most exciting sermons God's given me has been on that very basis. I'll be reading something, and I'll be driving down the street afterwards, and I'll be thinking on that verse, and the Lord will just remind me that over, and the Holy Spirit will remind me that over in such and such a place it said this, and over in such and such a place it said that. And I said, Lord, I've never put that together before. I never thought about it that way. And then it says this, and it says that, and it says this, and before long I just see a pattern coming in, a, some, a truth that I had not understood before that God puts in my heart. Now, you see, if you will, first of all, desire the sincere milk of the Word, before long you'll find as you start studying particular verses that God will tie it all together. He'll just bring it in from every different direction. Workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Now, don't get discouraged if you're a new Christian and you say, well, I just don't understand all this. It doesn't make any difference. It's life, it's light, it's truth, and it must get down in you so the Spirit of God can begin to get it out out of you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you read mysteries all day, or if you read love novels all day, or if you read recipes all day, or if you read decorating books all day, you're going to be full of that. But instead, if you read the Word of God, your heart will become filled with the light of God's Word, and out of your mouth will come the abundance of that, the overabundance of it. God says that's what He desires in our lives. David gave the reason for us doing that. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? 
that tells me that the light of God's Word comes in and drives sin out. You hear me? You have an area of problem in your life. You have an area of, uh, of real uh, of secret sin that's just hanging on. You can't get rid of it. How do we get rid of it? Go in and find every scripture verse that has anything to say about it. Write them down and begin to memorize those verses. And you watch. You say, now, Lord, you put a watch before my mind, and you put a watch before my, my lips so that I don't say or I don't think those thoughts anymore. And every time they start to come, your mind will immediately set off an alarm, and you'll begin to quote those scripture verses, and that thing will be broken in, in a due time. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Now, first of all, it says have a hunger for the sincere milk of the word. Then it says study the word of God. And that, that after you studied it, you begin to hide it down into your heart. And once you hide it down in your heart, it becomes a weapon. It becomes a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it will drive out darkness. Colossians, the third chapter. Will you turn to it with me, please? Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. That means uh, holding out when it's unbearable. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a complaint or quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now will you read that next verse with me? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see what the conclusion of the whole matter is? If you desire the sincere milk of the word, even as a newborn baby does milk, if you study to show yourselves approved unto God, if you begin to hide that word of God away in your heart, the next thing you'll find out is that you will allow the word of Christ to dwell in you so richly that out of it shall come wisdom and teaching and admonition for others. Isn't that what it's saying? When you allow the word of God to become a part of your life to where it begins to control your life and you become controlled by it, and it becomes the motivating force of your life, when you're around others, it'll become an automatic thing. When someone says something to you, for the Word of God to come up and you'll be able to admonish them and to teach them. I've been around persons where the Spirit of God has just said to me, teach them. And they'll make some statement that's way off out somewhere, and I'll say, now, where did you find that out? Well, I've always heard thus and such. I well, did you confirm it by the Word? <clears throat> well, no, I'm not exactly sure. I said, well, what would we do with this verse if what you say is true? Well, I didn't know that verse was there. I said, well, now, here's another verse over here. And you see, uh, all it does, it, 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 whatever that's, whatever's down there is what's going to come up. And if it's not down there, you know, some people say, well, I'm just going to open my mouth and let the Holy Ghost fill it. A lot of times you're just going to breathe nothing but air. If the Word of God isn't down there, you see, the Word of God tells us that it's the Word that convicts. It's the Word of God that is the sword. It's the Word of God that will pierce down, shine down into our hearts. And if we don't have the Word of God, we can talk until we're blue in the face and men are not going to be convicted of their sins. 
It's the Word of God that's alive, and it's a hook, and we get it down into their hearts. They'll never get rid of that hook. God says, if you're going to be faithful to me, I want you to study. I want you to, first of all, earnestly desire. Set the pattern and the, the tone of your heart to seek God's Word out for yourself. And study it. After you've begun to, begun to saturate yourself with it, then study it and get to know it to where you can tie things together. And before long, you'll find it flowing up out of you. And first of all, it will keep sin from you, away from you. Next, it will cause you to be able to teach and admonish others around you. So it's very necessary for Christians if they, first of all, have a love for God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, that they will have a love for the Word of God. Then, the third thing is, you will have a love for Christ's body. Now, you know I could spend a lot of time here, and I could again quote to you, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, all the more as you see that day approaching. Let me tell you something. The nearer that day comes, the harder it's going to get to, be, get to have people really hear those ver that verse. The enemy is going to work overtime to keep people from seeing the importance of God's people fellowshipping with God's people. If it's convenient and if something else doesn't come up, if we're not going to go on a trip or if we don't have visitors come into town and all the different things, we will be at church uh, if nothing else happens. It's happening in many churches today. I have been in churches where on Sunday morning you couldn't find an extra seat. On Sunday night, you could still see people, I mean, from one person to the next, you could see that there were other people in the congregation when you got there. On Wednesday night, you could throw a baseball in almost any direction and not hit anyone in that same sanctuary. Because they are forgetting the fact that the day of Christ's coming is closer than ever before. And that's why this writer of the Hebrews admonished them, all the more as you see that day approaching, get together more often. Many churches today that at one time were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then used to have revival meetings maybe two, three times a year, will have a Sunday morning service anymore, and that's all there is. And on that Sunday morning, they'll have a sermonette for Christianettes, and they wonder why revival has gone out the window. Let me tell you something. It is impossible. Did you hear that word? It is impossible for believers to grow and develop as God wants them to in an hour a week. It is impossible for a family or a young person to develop spiritually on an hour of spiritual fellowship a week. Impossible. God wants us to flow together as a body of believers. If you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord, I want to tell you right now, it may not show up today, but if you are a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian, Sunday morning go-to-meeting Christian, Somewhere down the line, the, the problems are going to come because you are not a, are getting established and rooted and grounded in the truth. You say, well, Brother Webb, I study the Word of God for myself at home. That's wonderful. But let me tell you something. God has placed within the church apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, evangelists for the edifying of the saints for the work of the ministry. God has placed them in the church to edify the saints for the work of the ministry. And if you feel that in 20 or 30 minutes or 35 or 40 minutes or if I get long-winded, 50 minutes or an hour a week, you can get the food that you need to go on spiritually and have the fellowship you need for the whole week, you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself. It's impossible. Would you look, at me, look with me at uh, Matthew, the 24th chapter? Jesus warned what was going to happen in the very last days. Matthew 24, 4. Matthew 24, 4 through 12. 
<clears throat> and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. How many of you know these are taking place in an, at an unprecedented rate right now in the world? It's alarming not Christians, it's alarming the secular world. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He's speaking of the Jews now. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity or lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Have you ever seen a day when there was more lawlessness than there is today? When men can shoot their wives in a premeditated way five times and go to prison for two and a half years? When I could go on ad infinitum ad nauseum to see the unrighteousness that is taking place. You see, God says he's going to judge any nation that says that right is wrong and wrong is right, and the United States in its legal systems today is, is coming to the place where it's saying that wrong is right, that the victim is the one that's in trouble and not the perpetrator of the crime. I told you before of one that just stunned me where a man had had his place broken into time and time and time again and so finally put up a sign, this door is, it has a bomb, has, has a detonator behind it. Do not tamper with this door, it will explode. He put it a big sign all over that front of the door and he put a light up above that door so anyone could read it. The same man came back to rob the place again. It exploded, it blew him out in the street, it broke an arm, broke a leg and messed him up royally. The man that owned that business was put in prison and fined thousands and thousands of dollars for having that, that bomb there. Now, I know it's terrible because if they'd have had a fire and the fireman had to get in there to put out the fire, that's the danger point, but nothing was done to the man who tried to knock the door down and rob the man again. Because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We must be careful as Christians not to let ourselves become calloused by the way the world lives today. I notice, for example, many times when you watch people watch television. Uh, some people don't like to watch television when I'm watching television because I sit there with a critical eye. And I'll say, that is a wrong principle. That is a wrong idea. That is an idea based upon humanism. And I, I sit there with a judging attitude. That is not a right thing. That is a wrong thing. And I find that it's very easy to slip into where you just accept drinking, you accept immorality, you accept all these things. And I begin to realize if that's something, there are Christians today that will go off to topless, excuse me, let's say those who profess to be Christians today who are going off to topless bars, who are going off to R-rated movies and think nothing of it. Let me tell you something, you will pay a price. It is impossible to saturate yourself with garbage and come away smelling like a rose. John, the 13th chapter. John, the 13th chapter. Let me say that when I was a teenager, if they would have tried to put an R-rated movie out, they would have had to put it out in some private club somewhere or they would have been thrown in jail if they'd have shown what they're showing on screens today in R-rated I cannot get over what they advertise as PG movies today. It is incredible to me. I can't understand it. 
And what I can't understand more than that is how many who profess to be Christians go in and just drop their nose in that trough and eat that slop and then come away and wondering, why don't I have the joy bells ringing in my heart? Buddy, you can stick a bell in a, power, in a, in a whole a slop bucket and you don't get any ring out of it. That's why. John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you that you what? Love one another. Let me tell you something. Now, this is not a preference. This is not a recommendation and is not a suggestion. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you if you are a child of mine and you are faithful to me, which you ought to be if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. There's fellowship. That means a one-way relation. How did Christ love us? While we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still trespassing against God and cursing God, while we were still defying God, while we were coming up against everything that represented God, Christ died for the ungodly. And he said, in that same way in which Christ loved you, you should love your brethren. Think what would happen if we wouldn't take up offenses from other Christians. And when we sensed that someone was hurt or offended toward us and did something toward us that would, they wanted to, to, because it was a sharp action, we would turn around and love them, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath loved you. That you'd begin to give to them and support them and help them and do everything you possibly could for them. Remember the story I told a couple of years ago about the two Chinese men who had their, their uh, uh, rice paddy up on the mountainside? And that each morning when they'd go out there, they'd labor all day, and at night they would carry, up, carry in enough water to fill their rice paddy. And you see there'd be one rice paddy here, and then a terrace, a little wall, and then the next rice paddy below that, and the next one below that, and the next one below that. Every morning when they'd come back out, they would find that the man below them, who did not go out and work all day, would go up there after they'd leave and kick out the, the little dam at the bottom side of their rice paddy, and all the water they'd carried up there would run down into the one below them. And these Christian men went back up the next day and filled it up again. And the next day they came back and the lower one was filled up and theirs was dry again. They did it the third day and came back and it was the same thing. And they began to pray about it and ask the Lord what to do. They, their first reaction was to go and catch that guy and you know what. And they prayed about it. And so the next day they went up, they filled their patty and they filled the man's patty. That night the man came to them weeping and said, I don't know what you have, but that's what I need in my heart. And they led him to Jesus Christ. And this is what the scriptures Jesus was speaking of here. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And what's the evidence of it? What's the end result of it? The next verse, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. They said, if, I, if, if the world can see that kind of fellowship, they will understand a new type of relationship. If they see the fellowship that I'm describing to you, even as God for Christ's sake had loved you, then they'll see a new relationship that they'll want to have part in. If we really are faithful to the Lord, we'll love the Lord's body and the Lord's people. 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, verses 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 and 12. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Now he gives another addition here. He says you're not only to love one another, but you are to love all men around you. 
You know, the world is starved for genuine love. They're starved to think that someone would really love them. And if as believers we love each other even as God for Christ's sake hath loved us and we let that love flow over to others round about us who are not Christians, many times spirits within them will try to drive them away from us, but if you continue just to love them without any cost, many times Christians will go around and be friendly to people in order to win them, and that becomes their motive, and that's wrong. The motive should be to love them because God said to love them and let the love of Christ flow out to them and let God be responsible for the end result. Isn't it amazing how many things we do in order to achieve an end? There's a lot of things that we're willing to, a lot of prices we're willing to pay just to achieve a certain end. And many times we'll give interest and love and and, uh, concern to other people in order to gain something. But Paul says here, uh, yes, Paul says here, to the Thessalonians, he said, you love one another and love other men the same way we've loved you. And if you refer that back to the scripture we just read, Paul loved them even as God for Christ's sake hath loved him and forgiven him. It's essential if we're faithful Christians to love, to develop love one for another, to let the love of God flow out. Now let me just go back one step and tell you something. If you are not saturated with the word of God, your heart and mind are not saturated with the Word of God, it'll be a very difficult thing for you to love others. It'll be a very natural, normal thing for you to fly off the handle and uh, find your temper. I didn't say lose your temper. I said find your temper. It'd be a great thing if the day had come when everybody would lose their temper and once and for all lose it and never find it again. But if we're saturated with the Word of God and the love of Christ and the light of God is living in our hearts and the darkness is driven out and we've got that Word hidden away in our hearts that we sin not against other people, then we'll begin to find it very easy to love others because we'll see them as Christ saw them. Look over in the fourth chapter now of 1 Thessalonians, verses 9 and 10. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Paul says, I shouldn't even have to teach you this. It is the nature of a Christian, should be the nature of a Christian, to love others. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Isn't that interesting? He said, listen, I know you Thessalonican people are already loving one another. And that's admirable, but I mean, that's admirable. But he says, I want you to go on and love each other even more. Let me ask you this morning, if I were to come to you and say, do you love everyone in the church here this morning? As you look around, is there someone against whom you still have feelings? Someone that you still are holding a little grudge about or, or you just can't get close to them because their idiosyncrasies are such that they just rub your hair the wrong way? Paul would say to you this morning, Oh, brother or sister in the Lord, I encourage you. You may say you love people, but love them more. Be absolutely transparent and let the love of Christ flow you through you being filled with the Word of God. Let the love of Christ flow through you to where when they see you, no matter what they say to you, how they treat you, what they do to you, they'll see the love of Christ flowing out of you into them. Do it more. You feel, well, I've already done an awful lot for people in the body. Paul would say, do it more. Jesus Christ would say, do it more. Well, I've given and they haven't given back. Praise God, then you've got something coming to you, but not from them. And if you make the Lord your source and you give as unto the Lord, He has promised that He will bless you. You say, well, they didn't even say thanks the last time. Let me ask you, how many times before you found Christ did you thank Him for what He did for you? We're an unthankful people. But we don't do things just because people are thankful. We do them 
because God tells us to do it if we're going to be obedient and faithful to Him. He says we want you to love more and more, to abound in love. Then 1 John, the third chapter, verses 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we, or hereby we comprehend, the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we, what? Did you see that? We were talking about abound more in love. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, Brother Webb, I'm awfully busy. Well, maybe sometimes we get too busy. We're to lay down our lives one for another. That's genuine Christian love. Give of ourselves. Expend ourselves. You say, well, yeah, but if I do it, nobody else does it. I'm... That's not your responsibility. God says he'll meet your needs if you will do what his word tells you to do. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother having, have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's lay down our lives, he says, one for another. Faithful believers will lay down their lives in love one for another. They become concerned for the needs of one another. Someone says, well, I think that, you know, assembling together as believers is a very minor thing. May I remind you that Jesus himself said, he that is faithful in the least shall be faithful also in the much, and he that is, in is unfaithful in the least will also be unfaithful in much. And you mark it down, if you're not faithful even in these areas, it will show up in other areas of your Christian life. And the end result of it will be whatever we sow, we reap. And whatever we don't sow, we don't reap. By that, if we don't sow to the Spirit, we don't reap life, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. And when we sow in the Word of God and love for God and love for God's Word and love for God's people, it will come back to us manyfold in spiritual and material blessings according to God's Word. You know, I say all these things and I realize that different people are going to respond differently to this truth. I'm old enough to be able to describe to you different types of pumps that I have seen, fountains that I have seen. I came from Nebraska. I was born and raised in Nebraska and, you know, that's just outside the United States to the west. And uh, it's, it's one place, whenever I think of driving across the United States, it's one state I just soon go around. There's not that much to see in Nebraska. Just rolling hills and sand and uh, tumbleweeds rolling across the prairie out in western Nebraska. But I remember as a little boy, all we ever had back then, the only running water we had is when I was in a hurry with a bucket. And I would go out in the yard and we always had to keep a bucket of water next to the, to the pump. You just did not use, my father would tell me time and time again, don't let that water, when you get through using that water for priming the pump, you fill that thing again. And when I'd forget, he'd come back and he'd really give me a tongue lashing because then we'd have to go down to the street to the neighbors and get some water out of their pump and bring it back to be able to prime our pump. And I thought when I saw that, you know, there are a lot of Christians just like this. We can teach them certain things or there'll be an exciting message that'll come forth or someone will come and minister in a special way and all of a sudden you get them primed and they'll pump and pump and pump and finally they'll begin to flow. But boy, you let them sit for a week or two weeks and they just go right down again. You've got to start priming the pump again. Then I saw another fountain, and that was out in Yosemite National Park, Yellowstone National Park. Beverly and I were out there with a the choral club years ago, and there's a, a fountain called Old Faithful. 
Oh, it's a fantastic fountain every once in a while. You ever seen people like that? Old faithful fountain, you get them in a revival meeting and they just spurt all over the place and steam and blow and snort and spray and everything else. They're just fantastic. Get them excited in a particular program or a particular speaker or a particular musician that comes into the church and boy, they're just bubbling all over. But when, it, when the quiet time comes, when the steadiness comes, they just down to nothing. Now I can remember, oh, they're, they're periodic and almost right on, you can almost count on them when something exciting happens in the church, they're going to get excited. But you know, during the humdrum time when just the preacher speaks or the men in the church speak, why, then it's time to go do this and go do that and go do the other thing. You see, I see that nature in the life of others too. Jesus said that he, he said to the woman at the well, I'm going to give you water. You don't, if you knew who it was that you spoke to, he said, you would ask of me and I'd give you living water to drink. Now that word living water to her spoke very quickly because that meant a, like a, a bubbling spring that came up out of the ground or a stream flowing where you didn't have to drop a bucket way down in a hole and then pull it back up out of the hole to get your water. And she said, boy, where can you get living water? And he says, this water I give to this person, they'll never thirst again, but rather out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost. Now during this drought period, those of you that know where we live, we have a little lake out on 434, and we have our big lake behind our house. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, that little creek continues to run into our lake. Now, our lake went down maybe a foot and a half, maybe about a foot and a half, I guess, during this drought period. But I went around to some people, and they could throw a rock off the end of their dock, and they couldn't, couldn't hit the water. I mean, before their dock was way, I mean, the water was way up under their dock, and now it's way out that you couldn't even throw a rock and hit the water. The difference is that there's a spring in that little lake right there next to 434, and it's continuously feeding into our lake. Now, Jesus said if a person has the Holy Ghost in them, that ought to be their nature to where morning, noon, and night, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, there is a joy, there is a, a freshness, there is a love, there is a disposition that comes forth that others can drink and find satisfaction from their very disposition. Let me ask you. Don't look around and find out if there's a, a pump that's always having to be primed or if there's an old faithful from time to time around you. But just simply say, Lord, which kind of fountain am I this morning? Am I faithful? Am I dependable? Can people see me flowing even during the drought period? You know, if we're a spring, people will come to us in drought periods. It's one of the most interesting things to me. My wife and family and I have talked about time and time again, a lot of people who, of course, when they heard that we spoke in tongues or prayed in tongues, when we got that experience, that experience, they said, that's of the devil. And the amazing thing has been to me, every time they have come into a crisis experience, a life and death experience, a financial disaster, they don't go to their pastor. They'll come driving in and come up and knock on the door and say, Pastor Webb, would you and your wife pray for us? Something fresh there. You hear me? It's not me, it's the Holy Spirit and they're hungry for some place that has some life and some flowing forth. And they don't go to their own pastor. They come to us and say, will you please pray for us? And you know, it'll be a month later, they'll say to someone else, oh, don't go to that church over there because that, that, that stuff they're going through is of the devil. And it's amazing to me. In a couple months again, they'll hit a disaster and they'll come knocking at our door, will you please pray for us? 
I tell you that if you have the Holy Spirit flowing up and out of your life in the drought periods, those that are going through the drought will come to you for a drink. They'll see the love of Christ flowing out of you. We love those people. And one of these days, I believe, they'll finally do the same thing that I did. In Minnesota years ago, Beverly and I were going to a Baptist church. And I didn't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though I'd gotten it in Bible college, didn't even know what it was. We got into a, an extreme crisis, and, and, and Beverly says, I, I, I said, Beverly, I don't know exactly what we're going to do in this situation. We're really going to have to pray. And when it got desperate, I finally said, let's go see Gordon K. Peterson over in Minneapolis. And suddenly I said, why did I say Gordon K. Peterson? I've got my own pastor. I don't have confidence in this particular pastor. I don't have confidence in the prayer and the spiritual insight that that pastor has. That man over there lives what he talks he was a Pentecostal pastor over in Minneapolis. Beverly and I had sung on his program. I had spoken in his church, and he had come around to me time and time again and said, Brother Joe, you've got it. You've got it. I said, I've got what? You've got the baptism. I do. I didn't know that. And I didn't have any recollection whatsoever that back in Bible school I had received it, but didn't know what it was and just let it fly, you know. But that told me something. I was going where I knew someone was plugged into God. You know something? The world is starved to find someone that's plugged into God. And when they find you, look out. They'll come knocking. They'll come seeking. And if you're not old faithful, and if you're not a pump that has to be primed, when you see them driving the driveway, you don't say, Oh, good night, get the word. I've got to read the word real quick and pray real hard and try to get... You know. <laughs> so when they come to the door, you'll say, Glory to God. Come on in, brother. I'll pray for you. Either that or you have to call them and say, Don't come until 345. That's when I spew again. Very quickly. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to go on next, next time. I'm not through. <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's another thing that I want to share with you the next time concerning faithfulness, that, an evidence of faithfulness. And I believe that these things, if they're in us and flowing out, we're going to see fruitfulness. And that's what God wants. You know, he's not getting us just to be houseplants. He's getting us to be perennials. Annuals, is that what I should say? Annuals, those that continuously blossom and grow year-round, bear fruit. Perennials, palm trees. Yeah, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. One coconut a day for every day of the year. The older the tree, the sweeter the fruit. So some of you think it's time for retirement. Don't you retire. God's going to get sweeter fruit out of you than he's ever gotten before. The longer you're with the Lord, the sweeter that fruit will be. See, the Lord wants us to be faithful, and if we'll be faithful, He'll make us fruitful. If we'll be fruitful, he will, he will reward us. And that's why all these things are written for our benefit and for our good. We talked about the fact that faithfulness is a much-used but little-understood word, and it means a loyalty or a constant and steadfast devotion to a person or a thing. Faithfulness. Let me read to you out of the... Living Bible again from Luke, the 12th chapter. You won't have to turn to it. It's just a couple of verses. But Luke, the 12th chapter, verses 42 through 44 in the Living Bible, where Jesus was warning his disciples. He was talking about being ready when he comes back again. And he was speaking to Peter, and he says, uh, and I should say not just to Peter, he's speaking to all of us. And the Lord replied, I'm talking to any faithful, sensible man whose master gives him the responsibility of feeding the other servants. If his master returns and finds that he has done a good job, there will be a reward. His master will put him in charge of all he owns. And then if not faithful, it goes on in verse 47, he will severely be severely punished, for though he knew his duty, 
He refused to do it. Verse 48 says, To whom much is given, much is required. God's Word has much to say about faithfulness. I brought out the fact that we need to know about faithfulness because the very nature of God is faithfulness. The very nature of His Son, Jesus Christ, is faithfulness. The very nature of the Holy Spirit is faithfulness. And if we are like Father, like Son, then we as Christians should be faithful in every area of our life. To where when someone says something, or when we say something to someone, they can mark it down as being so. If we make a promise to someone, we never have to question, they never have to question whether it's going to happen that way or not. I'll do this or I'll do that. They should be able to say, I've set my mind to rest on that thing because that person is a child of God and consequently they have the nature of God which is faithfulness to do what they say they will do. Now, we've said that if, if it's that way, then others will see the faithfulness of, see the life of Christ in us. You remember said of the disciples that they could tell that they had been with Jesus because they had love one for another. Love is one of the manifestations of the Christ life in us. Faithfulness is another manifestation of the Christ life in you and me. We talked about some areas where faithfulness is a requirement as, uh, as God's servants. Important areas of faithfulness for the saints. First of all, it is important if you and I have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ to have a close loving relationship. First of all, it's important that we be faithful in our loving relationship to God. Now, I know that a lot of people are very concerned about love relationships with other people, but I want to emphasize the fact that we will have a right relationship with other people if our relationship to Jesus Christ is what it ought to be. If we're walking in a right relationship with Him, the Scripture says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. When our relationship with Him is proper then our, the, the fruit of the Spirit being manifest out through our life will cause others to love us and to want to be around us. So that's the first important area. The second one is a love for the Word of God. It is impossible for you and me to grow as Christians if we do not have a genuine love for the Word of God. Now, there are some people say, I love the Word of God. They'll take their coat off and fight for it. They'll do anything they need. They'll even buy Bibles for other people, but they won't study the Word of God. And the scripture tells us over and over again to hide the word of God away in our hearts that we won't sin against the Lord. You can't have a proper relationship with the Lord if you don't get the word of God down in your heart because it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us and through the word of God. So it's essential for you and me to get the word of God down into our hearts. And it's important as Christians that we be found faithful in this area. Now I know there can be some dry times. I know when you can go for several days sometimes and not get into the Word. But if you have the Word down in you, the Word will still just keep coming up and it'll just be like a cow chewing cud. It'll come up and you'll meditate on it and it'll go down again. But then you need to get back into the Word and devour it and get it back down in there again. I found out that I have several translations at home and I go through them now and I've got a red and a blue pencil. And I've been marking them as I go through because I find out if I'm looking for something with a marking pencil, then I'm listening, I'm paying attention to what I'm reading. Have you ever been reading and all of a sudden you stop and say, what did I just read? And you go back and you get it, what did I just read? And you have to do it two or three times. I found what helps me is to take a blue pencil or a red, I have red on one end and blue on the other. And if it's, a, if it's something that I should remember, I'll just mark it in blue. If it's, a, if it's a promise for me, I'll mark it in red. And then I'll go back and say, now what did I, oh, there's a promise. There's a, and, and it's a good reference thing. And it also helps me to find out how far I've gone in the scriptures. 
because virtually every page on those different translations has marks on it. So I know that I've been through there. But get a love for God's Word and be faithful in getting the Word of God down in your heart. The third thing I said is you should have a love for Christ's body. I didn't say just this church. I said for Christ's body. Especially those of this particular body. There should be a deep, flowing, concerned love one for another. When one hurts, everyone hurts. That you would sense not, well, I'm not getting anything out of the service, but when you get up on Sunday morning, you go understanding the fact that you have received something from God and you want to see if God will give you an opportunity to bless someone else with what you have in the body. You see the difference? We have come to a place where it's almost where I'm going to go and see what I can get today. But really, the times of fellowship with the Lord's body, the God's believer, the, the children of God, the believers coming together, should be a time where we begin to give to one another. Look for the opportunity to give. Now, I've noticed some in the body from time to time after the church service is over, they'll look around, and if they see someone that's alone, or they see someone that looks concerned, they'll go over and begin to just talk with them and share with them. And before long, they'll pray with them. Or if they find out they've got a need, they'll get around during the week and see if that need can't be met. Now, they didn't come just to get. They come to give because they love the body of Christ. And the Scripture says that we are to love one another even as we love ourselves. Now, you know that if you and I had a need this coming week that was a definite heavy need on our hearts, you would desire that others would be able to help you lift that load. But the only way that happens is when you begin to look around and see if someone else has a load and you begin to lift their load. If you've got a load, you'll find out if you'll go and lift someone else's load, your load gets lighter. Did you know that? Some people say, no one loves me, everybody hates me, just no one understands me. Forget yourself and go out and find someone else to love and to understand and lift up, and you'll find out you get lifted. Hello? Now, don't just go around and cry into a towel. You'll find out if you don't feel loved by the body, then you go and cure that problem. You love someone in the body, and before long as you give it, it'll come back to you. Well, no, nobody understands me. Well, then go out to understand somebody else. And don't worry about you for a while. Understand someone else, and before long, you'll find others will understand you better. The church people just aren't friendly. Then you be friendly. That's just what Jesus said when he talked about and when the attorney asked him, who is my neighbor? When Jesus got all through explaining it, what he actually said to him is, you be the neighbor to everyone. Love the body. And it's important if we are going to be faithful as God's people to faithfully, consistently, every week, every day, love the body of Christ and give of ourselves to others round about us. I don't know about you, but I get blessed when I go through a week and find out that during that week I've had opportunity to help people and minister to people, and give to people. I find that that's the, the greatest blessing. Sometimes I'm almost down in the dumps when I go through a whole week and I haven't been able to minister to someone else. Now there are times when we need to be ministered to as a family also. And I find out the best thing to do when I feel like I need to be ministered to is go and minister to someone else. Try it. You like it. It works. Minister to someone else. Don't let self-pity overwhelm you to where you just sit at home and mope. When you begin to feel that coming on you, you just begin to say, now, Father, there must be someone in the church. Have I noticed someone recently that's had a problem? Lord, let me go minister to them. I'm not going to say a word about my problem. I'm not going to say a word about the way I feel. I'm just going to go and try to lift them up and encourage them in the things of Christ. Now, you do that, and then you come back and see if it isn't true that to the same proportion that you have given, you will receive. It's important.
that we understand that. We said there were three types of fountains. The old pump that you have to pump and prime to get going, and then old faithful that every once in a while shoots up. But God's looking for that, for that spring that just flows continuously. Just flows continuously. Now, we're up to date. Not bad for about seven or eight minutes. All right? From last year. The, the fourth area of faithfulness that's required is a love for the lost. A love for the lost. You know, I prayed a lot last night and again this morning how the Lord would have me to share this with you because it's a deep concern in my heart. We many times love to talk about the book of Acts where it says, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And we say, oh, that people will get the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that people will get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that people will begin to have the gifts of the Spirit flowing in their lives, that people will begin to have their own prayer language, how exciting it is. That's what people need to have. Let me tell you something. That wasn't the emphasis in the book of Acts at all. He said, I have something that the church absolutely must have in order to be effective in the ministry, and it isn't just the gifts. It is the power of God flowing through our lives. And the trouble with the church today is that we're seeking the blessings and forgetting about the power. I don't care how many gifts you and I may have or how many prayer languages we may be able to experience if we don't see the power of God flowing through our lives to where when we walk about and minister to others, we see behind us signs and wonders. We haven't got it yet. I know a lot of people that have all these experiences but still are miserable because they stopped at the blessing and didn't go on to the power. I want you to know something. I'm preaching to myself. It's easy to sit back on our laurels and say, well, we've got it. No, we haven't. If we've got it, it'll show. I don't mean it'll show spasmodically. I mean, as it said of Stephen, the, the deacon in the New Testament, it said that everywhere he went there were signs and wonders and miracles that followed him. I don't think Stephen went around saying, listen, what you've got to get is this experience. You know, you, you've got to be able to say this. I mean, use these syllables. And so, I don't think he did that at all. I believe everywhere he went, they saw the dynamic power of God, and consequently, they wanted everything that Stephen had to offer. They didn't have to prime and pump people to get what they thought they had to have, what many think they ought to have today. And I, may I share something with you? I think that this is the Achilles heel of the charismatic movement today. Everybody wants the blessing, but nobody wants to pay the price to get down on their faces before God and to search out their heart and have a right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. Oh, it's nice to dance in the, and jump around and go to the parties and get all excited, but don't, God, don't nail me down to where all of a sudden I have to come into an experience of holiness and sensitiveness to your spirit to where when you say speak, I speak, and when you say shut up, I shut up, and when you say walk, I walk, and when you say stand still, I stand still so that I can see the power of God in my life. We're missing it we're missing it as a church today we can talk all about the power we want to but the world says don't tell me about it show it to me now, i want to say all that because he says you'll receive the gifts no he says you'll receive power now let me go beyond and say this this is another problem many times we bring people to the church or we come to the church that that's where we're going to get some receive healing or that's where we're going to receive a touch or that's where we're going to be encouraged that isn't where they received it in the book of acts the believers went everywhere. Signs and wonders following the believers. This is supposed to be a filling station, and then you're supposed to go out and bless. But we're becoming ingrown to where we come and let's go to church, and that's where we'll get it. You need to come to my church and be prayed for. How many of you have heard people say, come to my church, we have prayer on Wednesday. Come to my church, you'll get prayed for. Wait a minute. This isn't the church. You're the church. 
They shouldn't have to come to this building to get prayed for. They should be prayed for right where they are. And if you and I are beyond the gifts, beyond the tickling, beyond the excitement, and we've come to God and we've had a face-to-face confrontation with God, and we know the power of God in our life, they don't have to come to church. The church is already there. The church goes to them. Let me tell you something. There's some fantastic denominations of the past that once walked in this truth. And they got off on the experiences, and when the experiences didn't work anymore, they tried to pump it up in the flesh, and it finally fell on his face. So they set it back in their theological pages and just let it bypass. That's going to happen to the church today if every single believer doesn't begin to realize that Jesus Christ gave them the commission to tarry for the power, the power of God. The Word of God says that we are debtors. We have received, in these earthen vessels, we have received light and truth. And it becomes our responsibility and our obligation to tell the lost about Jesus Christ. Now, when Philip went into Samaria, the Word of God says the first thing he did, he went in and began to perform miracles. He didn't set up a a workshop on how to get the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He went in and performed miracles. He didn't grab people's chin and wiggle them and say, say these syllables for so long. And No, he went in and everywhere he went, miracles followed him. And then the people all began began to get around him. And they got saved. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. And then incidentally, the other apostles came along and said, there's one more thing that you need. And they laid hands on them and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they saw the power of God first. We need to get the cart before the horse. I mean the horse before the cart. If you and I in our daily uh, uh, contacts are in such a relationship with God that when we walk around, God says, lay your hand on that person and pray for them and they'll be healed. And we're obedient. You don't have to worry about whether people are going to come to this church. They're going to have to reshape these walls. See, I don't want the reputation to be said, well, you come into this building and then you'll get prayed for and then you'll get healed. I don't want that reputation. I'd like to have them be able to say, Calvary Baptist Church throughout this whole area is going around and people are getting healed, people are getting set free. Well, who's doing it? Calvary Baptist Church. Yeah, but who, who's the preacher? Well, I don't know the preacher's name. All I've met is about five of the people in that body. Really? Yeah. And everywhere they go, they're laying hands on people, and the power of God's falling. You know, that's, that's New Testament. Let's not call ourselves New Testament until we get beyond the tickles and the fun and the, and the excitement and get down to where we begin to say, Hey, God, where did I miss it? I want the power in my life. You said it's there. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Can you imagine what would happen on the day of Pentecost if they'd have all just gotten that tickled experience and they spoke in tongues and got filled with the Holy Ghost? If they'd all started having a, 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 a inspiration service and said, all you people go home, we're just going to have a closed meeting now and we're all going to get blessed here. First thing that happened, Peter stood up and the power of God fell and 3,000 souls were saved on the first day. You see? Power. Don't stop at the blessing. I don't think there's one person that's a Christian that should stop and be satisfied if they have a manifestation of one or two gifts in their life. Those gifts are there for you to be all the more earnest in your prayer, in your seeking God, in your heart searching, in your own life to see to it that there's nothing between you and the Lord so that the power of God can flow through you. And when He speaks to you, you can be obedient and expect an answer to prayer. Then we're walking in the book of Acts. Let me ask you, how many people have you prayed for in the last year that have had a miracle take place in their life. Don't raise your hand, but just answer it for yourself. How many people have you personally won to Jesus Christ in this last year? you have the manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life? That's not a panacea, is it? That's not the answer, is it? See, obedience and faithfulness are the answer. We have only begun. We're just in the gate. 
And I believe this world has yet to see what God will do with a people who will believe God for the power to flow through their lives and will be willing to pay any price for it to happen. Scripture says we're to be ambassadors for God as though Christ did beseech us. God did beseech, us, beseech you by us. Be ye reconciled unto God. Now, an ambassador is one who represents another government. When our ambassadors go overseas, they represent all the power and all the force of the United States. That force and that power and that importance stands behind that ambassador. And Jesus is saying, when you and I go forth, we should not be just representing this local fellowship here. We should be representing the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord of lords and King of kings, who has all power and all authority and gave it to you and to me. And we're saying, we represent that government. You know, I'd feel very badly if I thought all I was representing is this government right to this little body here. Because I, I, I certainly couldn't declare any... I mean, look at the bigger churches around. What authority would we have? The authority is in the one that we represent, the government that we represent. Now, let me ask you something. Do I, am I the only one in this body that represents that? I'll tell you one thing. You don't represent me. I hope that you've learned something through the teaching I bring, but I don't ever want it to be Joe Webb's church. I want it to be the Lord's church. And if it's the Lord's church, you and I are all members of that same body, aren't we? The toe should be just as sensitive as the ear. The eye should be just as sensitive as the finger. And every part of that body should have the same equal amount of life flowing through it. And if it does, and it doesn't make any difference which part of the body touches them, there should be power flowing from that body. Let me ask you again. How long have you had the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How long has it been since you've won a soul to Christ? How long has it been since you've seen a miracle take place through your ministry? You see what I'm saying? We have stopped at the blessings and have missed the power, the anointing of God. And God wants a special anointing on his body in these last days. And that anointing is going to be manifested by a, uh, a burden, a love for lost men and women who need Jesus Christ. It's nice for saints to get together and shout and get excited, but it's nicer for saints to get excited like the angels do when sinners come to Christ. And it's nice when the saints are the ones who win the, the lost to Christ. Some of us may need to go in the closet and really seek God's face and ask Him for forgiveness because we have no burden for the lost men and women in this world. We love to come to church and be in fellowship with God's people, but we have lost a burden for those outside. And Jesus said, look, at, look in Matthew, the uh, 10th chapter. Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household." He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And then he closes all of this by saying, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Let me ask you something. Is that evident in your life and mine today? When people talk to us, do they recognize that they're talking to someone who represents the power of Christ in their life? Is the power of Christ flowing through our lives to where they see it, they feel it, they know it? To where if they reject us, they are rejecting Christ. 
That's powerful, isn't it? And yet Jesus said, when we go out and we confess him, he confesses us. And if we deny him, he denies us. And when we confess him, our lives should be such that they'll be able to tell that they're rejecting Jesus Christ himself when they turn us down because they see the power of God in our lives. This is the conclusion of CD number three of the messages titled Faithfulness. Please go to CD number four for a continuation.